0: Thank you for joining us. I'm Elliot Volkman, and today with me I have UX author Carolyn Chandler. Uh, So, Carolyn, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your background?
1: Uh, Great. Well, um, yes, hello, everybody. I am a user experience strategist and designer. I've been working in the field for um, over 16 years now. I actually got into it from the anthropology and psychology side of things, and uh, was lucky to find it because I think it's, you know, such a great mix of the creative and um, working through problems logically as well. So um, it's, been, it's been a passion of mine. I've been working both um, as a product designer and then also on the consulting side. And um, over the past few years, I've also been doing a lot of teaching in the area.
0: So I've written a couple books to help
1: beginners and intermediate folks who want to extend their skills.
0: That's great. And do you want to maybe give a little bit of details about the books and where they can find them as well?
1: Sure. Uh, so the first book is called A Project Guide to UX Design, and it, uh, it's for user experience designers in the field and in the making is the tagline we had there. So it provides an overview of user experience design as it tends to be worked out on projects and within teams. Uh, we found that that was one of the big gaps for people who had been going more the academic route into human-computer interaction and then worked on projects and realized that there were a lot of different roles and different kinds of techniques you could use So which techniques make the most sense for what kinds of projects and how can you talk about it, you you know, the user experience within your team. And then the more recent one is called Adventures in Experience Design. And this one is um, more for beginners or also for teams that want to do activities together. So it's a very playful book. It provides an overview of the design process and uh, gives activities and games you can play to learn some of the lessons with the idea that you can actually take your own um, product concept and take it through the process of doing some research around it, really refining the problem you want to solve, and then um, sketching it out and and testing it and talking about it with others. So it was geared maybe for, you know, high school, early college age, but there have been a lot of companies that have enjoyed using it for innovation exercises within their teams, cross-functional teams like design and development. And they're both available on Amazon uh, or the uh, Pearson Peach Pit site.
0: Great. So, you know, obviously with uh, Moda UX coming up, you're going to be hosting a in-depth workshop on March 23rd. So so I assume some of that stuff from your books are actually going to be involved with there. So your specific session is going to be on testing, sketching and prototyping improvements quickly. Um, Can you maybe give us like a little overview of what you're looking to teach people about and get them involved with?
1: Yeah, I think um, part of it is that idea of the fact that anybody on the team can rapidly get out some ideas of uh, how to improve a process. I'm a big believer in collaborative design. And uh, when you have something that you might be wanting to improve, being able to step back and get an objective view of what uh, some of the improvements might be. So usability testing is a great way to see other people struggle with something. In this case, we're going to be taking a couple of, existing applications, um, splitting the the workshop into two and having one be working like they're the uh, design and development team for one of the applications testing with the other half. And then uh, we'll discuss some of the best practices and design as we assess those those two apps. And then the teams will sketch out their ideas for improvements and make those into prototypes. So we'll use a couple of uh, popular tools in the field for doing rapid prototyping that way. And it really opens up, uh, like I said, that kind of design development, stakeholder divide that sometimes happens, because uh, once people get past some of the the fears of sketching or that just lack of knowledge of what tools could allow them to do this, they're much more free to communicate things quickly and solve problems um, quickly as well.
0: Great. Um, So I've got an additional question to add on to that. So as you're kind of going through a rapid development process, at what point would you maybe include the end user?
1: Oh, well, there's, uh, you know, some, some teams, especially agile teams, will sometimes have users come in every week or every, you know, every sprint at least. And uh, I think I'm a fan of that idea where you have two or three people coming in and you might not know when you set them up what they're actually going to be testing. But if you have enough going on uh, throughout your sprints, there's almost always something that you can test with users. So that, that would, I guess, be the extreme of um, always involving your user or having them, mm-hmm. having them around quite a bit. Um, you know, I think other points would be if you feel like you've reached a good um, a finish of a good conceptual chunk you know, or you have the core piece of what you're trying to create finished, that's a really good time to do it to make sure that you've got the real engine of what you're creating um, down well and, and useful. Now, that's usability testing, but you can also do other kinds of research to involve users. There's a lot of techniques out there. Um, going out and observing them in the field, trying to solve the problem that you're looking to address. Uh, interviewing them. Uh, if you're trying to create a whole category system, you can do things like card sorting, where you can get an understanding of how they might group things. So there's there's plenty of ways to to involve them other than usability testing. But usability testing tends to be one of the ones that is the most um, just the most obviously useful for teams that haven't yet done a lot of research because you have something very very uh, tangible at the beginning usually to test, even if it's a prototype, and you can get some feedback uh,
0: quickly yeah I think that's a great approach so does it make sense to uh, I guess in now how people are really developing to a lot of more agile over that of like waterfall or something like that uh, does it make more sense to have maybe an MVP and you know even before it's built just start having those conversations and interactions with users
1: Oh, yes. I mean, I think, you know, you could do it before you sketch a single thing. Um, I think a lot of people tend to jump to the solution and start sketching out ideas, which is, I mean, it's good to be sketching them as you go. But in the classes that I teach, one thing that we'll do is we'll outline what is the challenge in the first place that you're trying to solve and then get into the space of that before you start even talking about solutions. So we won't even get into solution ideas until maybe the third week. Um, because people make a lot of assumptions about what the problems are that are out there. And also people like to, they like to create solution ideas. It, it feels good when you come up with an idea. It actually activates part of the, the pressure receptors in your brain. Um, but if you don't step back and really look at the problem and understand what people are struggling with, you might solve a minor piece of the problem when you can actually have a bigger impact with something completely different.
0: Yeah, I absolutely would would agree with that. I can't tell you how many times I've seen, like, a you know, one of the things that I enjoy doing is going through the app store and just looking at what just recently released, and you'll just see, like, these goofy apps that come out, but they don't really have, like, a whole lot of purpose and thought behind it, so. Um, yeah, and you know, this, I mean, that's going to be fun here yeah. and
1: there. That's going to be fun here and there, but, you know, they they don't tend to have much of a lifespan. They might be, like, the, the May bugs or the June bugs, I guess, of... Uh, of the
0: store mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, to your point, obviously it just makes sense to really have a purpose behind anything that you build, you know, mobile or or otherwise. So, uh, obviously the user experience is directly if relevant to that.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: So, you know, going back to UX uh in general and there's a whole Uh, What do you think are some of the most challenging aspects? And I know this is going to be a broad question, but what do you think are the most challenging aspects of UX in general that uh, really are kind of just emerging, that people are really things that they really should be paying attention to? You
1: know, I think um, one of the things specifically with mobile that I've been paying a lot of attention to is, is how do you diagram the space that the user is moving in, in a way that makes sense for them. There's a lot of um, really cool transitions out there, I'm a huge fan of that. Um, you were earlier asking about trends in mobile, and I think that's one of the things that I think is really exciting, is exploring um, you know, how you move from one space to the next, and how do you do it in a way where you keep the user um, moving forward, but also explain how the the system's kind of structured below it. So. I think you know sometimes things slip, sometimes they bounce, um, sometimes they are swipeable, and that's that's a it's a great opportunity, but it's also a challenge um, because you don't want the user to feel lost in space. And with such a small screen, you have you have a large area of undefined space that you're working in. So um, I'm doing some I'm doing work with Eight Bit Studios here in Chicago, and we're trying to find new ways to document those kinds of transitions so that. Um, it's clear for the people that we're working with how um, how they're going to move the uh, user through those spaces and also when the user's using it for them to have an understanding of you know they were able to predict what's going to happen next enough to not feel lost but also be delighted with some of those kinds of transitions that could could uh, could happen and add a level of playfulness or meaning
0: yeah, and I think that makes a great deal of sense so one thing that you know came to mind when you were Discussing that is you know when you're first really introducing your mobile app or website or you know anything in general to a new user It's the onboarding experience. So do you think? Um, there are particular things that would really make a on an onboarding experience easier for someone
1: uh, You Know there's some really nice examples of um, of uh, you know, tutorials out there that just walk you through uh, certain pages. I think, um, you know, you you see uh, things that will point out things on the screen, which is nice, Um, and then that ability to actually turn that on during complicated processes, um, kind of more on demand. I'm working on a project right now where we're trying to move things from a website into the mobile um, realm, and they have a pretty in-depth help area, and that just doesn't, tend to work very well on mobile. Um, so it's just, you know, it's a lot of reading. It's, you have to go over to a mm-hmm. different area. Uh, so I think one thing that's great with mobile is that it's so so uh, just in time that ideally you're, you're creating something that helps you and helps the user solve the problem where they happen to be without getting too cluttered uh, in the interface. So I think like a short tutorial that walks you through the major functions and then introduces you to any kind of concept of how you can get help if you need it uh, would would help with onboarding. Um, and, you know, I, I think just in general, the design, trying to, just with any design, uh, not using a lot of inside jargon will help with that too because then you don't have to define things. Um, you know, using the user's language is, is really important throughout all design, but especially with mobile where you, you don't want people over to some long glossary
0: of terms. Yeah, I think that's actually one thing that a lot of people don't tend to realize. I mean, you can coin terms and you know trademark things as much as you want but unless it's information and language that really resonates with the audience that you're intending to use the app uh, it might fall it might fall a little bit flat
1: right yeah yeah the other thing I'll say and this is kind of a personal rant <laughs> um, I'm I'm a fan of the Sunprint, uh the recognition I'm such a fan of that because I feel like passwords have gotten out of hand I, I understand security Um but but uh, Everybody seems to have different rules, and uh, entering a password is no fun anyway. But especially not on mobile. So, anything that um, companies can do to to expedite things like onboarding when it comes to security—you know—still staying secure. But um, Mm -hmm. you know, I wish I wish there were a standard set of rules out there rather than oh no, in this one you can't use any special characters, or in this one you must (laughs) use special characters. You know, right. So I'm I am definitely loving the thumbprint uh, on my on my iPhone, and I, I hope that's
0: something that catches on quickly. Yeah, I totally agree with you on that. So I actually just this week read something about Google is testing uh, some sort of voice security. So with Google Wallet, you would be able to go up to I guess some sort of terminal, and instead of you know using your thumb pit. Th- thump it. Your thump <laughs> or, uh, I guess <laughs> um, I guess we do have a fit, don't we? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <So> go ahead. <laughs> um, exactly. So um, basically you would be able to use you would say your initials or something of that nature and it would um, activate it. Do you think you know, voice is maybe a next step or um, you know, I don't know if you're like me where you're just kind of a not necessarily opposed to it, but maybe it's uh, not fully integrated with how you think you would interact with, you know, a mobile device.
1: Um, you know, voice voice seems to make sense to me. I mean, I guess the first thing I think of is, can somebody record your voice and use that to get in um, to your system? I guess it'd have to be somebody pretty nefarious there, but... Um, my assumption would be that whatever that technology is would have to be able to tell the difference between a recording and a your actual voice. But um, mm-hmm. definitely I'm a fan of anything that we can explore to make it easier where people aren't having to – it's just not natural to have to remember passwords and types. Typing is not natural. So right. anything – like anything, the fact that the just overall the voice commands have gotten so much better um, I think is, is huge. I think a lot of people aren't still using some of those just because they are mm-hmm. used to the typing or because it feels weird to be talking into your phone like that and saying <laughs> things like, this is a lot of fun, exclamation point. Um, <laughs> right. But uh, I really wish there was a, I was been looking for verbal shortcuts for exclamation point because it's just, it just feels so anti-fun <laughs> what the exclamation mm-hmm. point is meant to be. And it always translates as excavation point for some reason, but um <laughs> There's got to be some kind of shorthand like that, and actually, I would guess that I would think there needs to be something like that that's going to be developed. Um, Mm -hmm. Maybe we just say "bang," but instead of an exclamation point. But yeah, I mean, I think there's going to be, I think there's going to be a lot more like that. Um, And uh, even if it doesn't feel natural now, it's it's still going to be more natural than typing has been. We're just used to typing, you know, but it's not the best Mm -hmm. interface.
0: Yeah, that's true. And, you know, I don't know if you use the feature at all or if you have an iPhone in particular. But, you know, one of the things that I love is the the dictate mode where rather than you're actually sitting there and typing, you know, like long text messages, just, you know, talk to it and it will just put it all out there. Obviously, it doesn't retain emotion, but,
1: you know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's that's what I was using when I would say accidentally excavation point um, or uh, (laughs) comma and all that. Um, I think, yeah, there's a, there's a list. If you look online, there's a list of the verbal commands you can do. And I think it's kind of like, uh, you can say smiley face, frowny face and, uh, cross eyed smiley face actually. Um, I don't know why they picked those three, but yeah, those are all verbal commands that you can say and it'll convert into text for you or to emoticons. So you can get a little bit of the emotion in there. Um,
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Just a quick thing for, because we're coming up on Valentine's Day here, uh, there was research that was found that people who use emoticons have a better love life, so um, (laughs) use your emoticons.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's great. I I can't remember who it was. It might have been on Conan or something like that, but there was actually, uh, they were trying to say which language was like the most positive I don't know, it might have been Spanish was like number one and Germany was number four. So he was joking it said uh emoticons should be like number one.
1: <laughs> yeah. It is the universal language.
0: <laughs> exactly. Yeah, of course. It's no longer numbers, it's now emoticons. <laughs> right. That's <laughs> great. Um so you know, obviously with your workshop coming up, there's gonna be a lot of great information involved. But you know, besides your books, where can they find out maybe more information about you and, you know, if you have a Twitter account, where can they follow you?
1: Uh, Sure. Well, um, my site is dhalo.com. That's D-H-A-L-O. It kind of stands for Digital Halo. And it has some of the events that uh, I'm going to be participating in listed um, and some outdated blog posts. I got to work on that. Um, And then my Twitter account is at Shanann, T-H-A-N-A-N. And those are probably the best uh, overall, ways to find out more about uh, what's going on and some of the books that I talked about to you.
0: Fantastic. And I have one last question for you White Sox or Cubs? Ooh,
1: you know, I'm a Chicago fan first, but if I have to take, I'd definitely say Cubs just because it's
0: just fun to go to the games. So
1: I'm that not a Fairweather fan. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I'm a That's fair the only fan. answer. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs>
0: Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for your time. I really look forward to your workshop in March, Uh, and this is going to be some great information. I think everyone will really benefit from going to your workshop.
1: I would like to think so, too. So hopefully, uh, folks who are listening, you're, you're joining us, and we'll see you in March.
0: Absolutely. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you.